Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> to those of you out there in streaming land, we want to welcome you to our service today, as well as those of you in the overflow room. Thanks for creating space in here. And especially our college retreat that's out of town. That's why this section is empty uh, today. They're on retreat this weekend, and um, they're supposed to be watching the service today, um, from what I understood. So, uh, College students, you will be tested on the content today, so be sure and take good notes. Hey, but I want to make uh, one quick commercial uh, since I'm up here. Um, With our missions ministry here at the church and a missions team, which is comprised of the champions for each of our different ministries that we support, uh, we're trying to now do a quarterly brochure like this that you hopefully received on your way in this morning. And it lists out uh, the different opportunities that are coming so you're not surprised or caught off guard, especially like for home teams that may want to be planning ahead on um, a, a ministry activity that they want to do or really for any group or any, because many of these are family um, uh, opportunities as well, or just a bunch of friends want to get together. So you'll see the different options that are available for the October, November, and December that are coming up, and you'll be getting more details as each one approaches. But then also on one of the uh, samples, or one of the columns there, you'll see mission trips for next summer, 2024. People have already been asking about some of these, so here are the dates. Um, There may be some uh, adjustments on the cost, you know, you just, with airfare, you just never know sometimes where that's involved, but uh, you at least see the dates and begin to plan your calendar. And of course, Vacation Bible School will be in there as well um, as part of our summer. So I hope you'll take advantage of this. And then uh, in January, we'll come out with the the next one so you can plan ahead because we've got some big uh, plans for next uh, spring uh, as well that we hope you'll take advantage of. So uh, before I get into the message today, though, I wanted to uh, take another little moment of prayer. Um, As you are well aware, there's been some quite a a bit of events taking place in Israel. And so we wanted to pray for the country, uh, for all that's taking place there, because we know they're uh, through scripture, how God has a special place for them. And um, so we want to pray for God's will to be accomplished there. So if you would join me, we're just going to pause for a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for the opportunity to worship. And as Daniel prayed earlier, that um, we get to come into your presence today. And we thank you for the worship team for leading us into your presence through music today. And so, Lord, we do pray for our friends and brothers that are in Israel uh, with uh, all the horrendous stuff that's been taking place. Lord, we just pray for your will to be accomplished there. Um, We just um, uh, don't know exactly how best to pray for this, but you have all things under control. You know exactly what's going on and the hearts that are behind it. And so, Lord, we just pray your will will be accomplished. And Lord, if this may be a precursor, as the scripture said, a birth pang about the coming of Christ, then Lord, may it be so. And Lord Jesus, come, we're ready. And um, we just are trusting you for all those events that are taking place. So it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right. So being a grandfather, as I am, 
has many great privileges. How many grandparents do we have here? All right. It's great, isn't it? You get to play with the kids and then give them back. You know, give them lots of sugar and all that good stuff. Candy, because I always like candy. But um, so I'm very fortunate that I have four grandchildren. Um, um, Penny and I had two children. My son lives in Seattle, Washington, and he and his wife have two-year-old twins, boys that are uh, just wonderful. And and though I don't get to see him uh, as frequently, uh, he's really good about FaceTiming with me so I can see him. Of course, I'm just a face in a box, you know, uh, when we're doing that. But my daughter's family lives here in Macon, and they attend church here as well. And so they have two wonderful, beautiful little girls um, in the family. And so I've gotten to watch them grow up. And so being a grandfather, it's really fun watching them grow up, not only just physically, but emotionally and intellectually with their schoolwork, but then more so even spiritually. And one of those areas is, of course, with prayer um, and seeing how they've grown spiritually just through their, the way they pray. Now, when they were preschoolers, of course, they're like most of us, they um, would uh, have the memorized prayers that they would pray for a meal or perhaps uh, when they went to bed. And uh, because my daughter and and my son-in-law, you know, give them the opportunity first to to pray if they want to do so. And uh, and so one particular time I got to... um, stay with them and uh, put them to bed. And so with one of the girls, we, she was getting into her prayer time and she said, she just asked God to take care of everybody. Um, that she, and so she proceeded to go through name by name of all of her friends, all of her family, all of her pets, all of her dolls, and just about anybody else she could think of. And then, but she ended this way by saying, and God, take care of yourself. Because if anything happens to you, we're in a big mess. (laughs) So so I just loved watching her do that. Well, and and of course, as I hear them pray, it's always a reminder of that great privilege that we have as followers of Christ to pray to our Heavenly Father. And even though He knows everything, I think He still wants to hear from us, obviously. You know, He wants us to pray to Him to let him know what's on our hearts as well. And so as when we talk about being a follower of Christ, we describe that in terms of a relationship. And as you know, for any relationship to flourish, there has to be communication. And so prayer is our opportunity, our way of communicating with God. But like any good communication, it's got to be two-way. So when we pray to God, we're letting Him know what's on our heart. But then God responds by speaking to our hearts. And then, of course, by speaking to us directly through His Word. And so we can know exactly what God is thinking by when the Scriptures that we read uh, hopefully every day. And so it's a great privilege there. So in keeping with Pastor Kevin's series, A Royal Mess, that he's been leading us through uh, in the book of First Kings, we come to chapter 8 now where uh, King Solomon offers up um, the, one of the most beautiful prayers that you would read. And um, as I was reading it and looking it over and evaluating it, I began to see a pattern that he used to follow 
which is something I learned many years ago as a young Christian of how to pray myself. And it's an acronym, A-C-T-S, that you see on your message map there. So we're going to walk through those four letters in just a little bit uh, to help explain what those mean and to help broaden our prayer life or help us grow in our prayer life as well. But first, we have to go through the setting there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the eighth chapter of the book of 1 Kings. We're going to read the first several verses. And um, if you'll pardon me from not reading my Bible, my print's too small in here, so I have to print it real big so I can see it and read it uh, up here as well. So 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, some of these verses will be on the screen as we go along, but if you have your phone or scriptures with you, uh, please turn there. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like it when it tells a story that way. So we pick it up, 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, if you were here in previous weeks, uh, like last week, Pastor Kevin got us uh, to where the temple had been constructed by Solomon, and now it's time for the finishing touches. So it goes like this. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of the Israelites. And he's referring to the 12 tribes of Israel there. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. And yes, that is the same Ark of the Covenant that Indiana Jones went looking for. Okay, so there's your picture there. All right, so verse 2. So all the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethanim. Now, the... Feast, Festival of Shelters, it goes by two other names as well in the Old Testament scriptures. It's also called the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. Now, that, interestingly, that is what just concluded this week in Israel. Um, it just ended on Friday right before all the bombing began to take place. But it was uh, an annual event where all the leaders and people of Israel would, would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate and reminisce um, of the, the provisions of God during the 40 years in the wilderness when Moses was leading them into the promised land. Because God continued to provide for them even in spite of their disobedience at different times uh, along the trip. So pick up verse 3. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the priest picked up the ark. The priests and Levites brought up the ark of the Lord along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. That's a lot. Verse 6. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Then jump to verse 10. When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. So just to clarify our setting here, the first thing was the temple had, was now complete 
And we have a picture of the temple so you can kind of get a, a visual of, of what was taking, uh, of what it looked like. And um, yes, there it is. And there's Solomon's temple. And just to give you a kind of a, a scale of reference, it's about two-thirds the size of a football field. And so that includes the outer court there where anybody and everybody could could come and you can see the different places where they would make sacrifices. But then once they went inside the temple, it was just for the priest to enter that first portion. But then um, the second thing that took place that we read is the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the um, temple in the Holy of Holies. And the, then the cloud our God immediately shows up in a thick cloud. So with the next picture, you'll see a kind of a zoomed in section of the temple itself where things were labeled. And you can see where the Ark of the Covenant rests and the cherubim that it sat under. Uh, but then notice kind of somewhat in the middle of that picture there, the veil. This separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies to intercede on people's behalf to God. Now, it's very interesting there. Um, he had to, the, the priest, before he could enter, would have to go through ceremonial cleansing. He had to be totally right with God before he could enter that place. In fact, tradition has it that they would actually tie a rope around his leg when he entered the Holy of Holies because if he was not clean and God zapped him or something and or God showed up and you know he died that they could still pull him out without because nobody else was supposed to go in there so it's kind of an interesting picture that took place there but be sure to note that only the priests could gather in the temple and then only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where God rested. But then you, we read that the uh, cloud appeared, which was indicating God's presence, which is so interesting when you think about it, because God was showing the people that he was there, but yet it was a cloud, so they still could not see him. So there was clarity, but there was still mystery associated with that, which is an interesting picture. But this cloud, which is often referred to as the Shekinah glory, you've probably heard that term before, is the same cloud that appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, and also is the same cloud that appeared when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. So it's kind of interesting how all this flows together through the scriptures. But, okay, so as a result of this, and the priests had come out of the temple. Solomon then gathers all the people and he lifts up one of the most beautiful prayers that you will ever read or hear for yourself. And from that, we see four very distinctive components to prayer. It's an acronym, ACTS, that I mentioned earlier. That's once again on your message map. We're going to fill in those blanks <coughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and explain what they represent. Now, this is not a formula for prayer, such as, you know, if I pray this prayer or pray this way, God's going to love me more or God's going to approve of my prayer or, you know, my prayers don't count if they're not in this formula. 
No, that's not what we're talking about. It's simply a guide to help us remember that prayer is more than just us asking for stuff and making a request to God. So the very first one you see is the A stands for adoration. So if you once again still have your Bibles open, we're jumping down to verse 22 because adoration is praising God for who He is. For who He is. So verse 22 of 1 Kings 8 It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands toward heaven and he prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven above or on the earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands, you have fulfilled it today. But will God really live on earth? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you? How much less the temple that I have built? So as I mentioned, adoration is praising God for who he is. This is bragging on God, basically. Just like you might brag about your spouse, how great a cook she is, or how he takes care of the car or provides for the family, or you know, bragging on your children, or in my case, grandchildren. You know, this is basically just pointing out the great characteristics that draw you towards God, that you appreciate about God. And so you see in Solomon's prayer, we listed four things on your message map there. First of all, that there is no God like you in all of heaven or all of earth. There is no one like you, God. You are unique. You are distinct. You are like nothing else. And then you, get, you keep your covenant and show unfailing love. God's love is unfailing. God's loving kindness never ends. And that's great to remember, especially when we mess up, right? And so he's also a promise keeper. We sing a lot of songs about God keeping his promises. You have kept your promise that was made to David in this specific case. But then it goes on, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. You are bigger and better than anything we could ever imagine. So that is adoration, praising God simply for who he is. Um, And he certainly would have learned and heard this from his father, David, because many of the Psalms that were written by David reflect his adoration or praise of God. For example, Psalm 100 verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That is adoration. He's showing how much he loves God, how much he praises him. Well, one of the qualities of God that we can't forget as we're going through all this is simply the holiness of God. Because that's one of his distinctive qualities. In fact, one writer um, that I read uh, mentioned that the holiness of God is what keeps all of his other qualities in check. It's kind of like Superman. If Superman were a bad guy, he'd be using his powers for the wrong purpose. But Superman's a good guy, right? I, I guess I don't keep up with all those anymore, but he's still a good guy, right? Superman, college people? Yeah, okay, good. Um, he, he's, he, and, and it's, so in God is the same way, since he has all this power, all this ability, because he is holy, 
He can only use His powers in a holy and righteous manner. So, but holiness, when we think about God's holiness, it also brings conviction because it makes us, when we look at God and His standard, it makes us realize what sinners we are. And so that leads us to letter C, which is confession. And you see the byline there, agreeing with God about our sin. So notice what Solomon says, jumping down to verse 46. And he's praying for his people there where he says, if they sin against you, God, and who has never sinned? What a great question. You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to their land far away or near. But in that land of exile... They might turn to you in repentance and pray. We have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their enemies and pray toward the land that you gave to their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers and their petition from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive you people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses They have committed against you. Make their captors merciful to them, for they are your people, your special possession, whom you brought out of the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt. So notice what Solomon confesses uh, in the process of this prayer. It says, if they sin, because who hasn't sinned, so he knows knows it's coming, uh, that they might turn to you in repentance. Now, once again, you hear the word repent quite a bit, but repentance means to do a 180. If I'm heading in this direction and I repent, I'm changing directions. So if we're in a sinful path or repeating the same wrong activities uh, or occurrences, tend to repent is to turn 180 to do something different. Um, but then that if they repent and recognize their sin, and then he asked them to ask God to hear their prayers and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Um, it re, it's very reminiscent of what Solomon would have written in Proverbs chapter 28. In verse 13, he writes, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So Solomon took this to heart and continued to write about this in the Proverbs. So when we think about confession of sin, as I mentioned earlier, confession means to, uh, confess literally means to agree with. So when you hear that a criminal confesses to a crime, he is agreeing with the charges brought against him. So similarly, when we sin and we confess our sin to God, we are agreeing with God that we have missed the biblical standard or God's holy standard that he has set for us. And so when we confess, we're admitting to God, agreeing with God that we have sinned. But then 1 John 1.9, a very popular verse that we all are probably very familiar with, it says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we will take, make the effort to confess our sin, God promises, and once again, he's faithful to his promises, he will forgive our sins, 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's a great promise to hold on to. Uh, And that goes back to adoration again. Because he is faithful to his promises, and because he, that means he's going to forgive our sin when we confess it. All right, so that brings us to T, letter T, which stands for thanksgiving. So whereas adoration was praising God for who he is, thanksgiving is praising God for what he has done. Now, we could easily make a long list of all the blessings and ways that God has, has worked in our life and done great things for us. And so hopefully these, these things will roll off your um, fingertips as you write them down if you choose to do that. But in verse 54 of 1 Kings 8, Solomon says this, When Solomon finished making these prayers and petitions to the Lord, he stood up in front of the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands raised toward heaven. He stood and in a loud voice blessed the entire congregation of Israel. Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. I love that passage. In fact, the first time I read through this in preparation, I highlighted that verse because he gave his people rest. You think of all that Israel had gone through, all the trials, all the tribulations, much of it due to their own disobedience, but he now had given them rest because there was a time of peace. And you think how valuable that is to each one of us, especially those of us who have struggled with perhaps the same sin or maybe we've been taken captive by some habit that we deal with or whatever, that God has set us free from that and it can give us rest as a result for that. That is a beautiful expression of thanksgiving to know that God has not failed in his promises because he is faithful to his promises and he has given the people rest. Maybe you're struggling with something then in your life that is continually to challenge you. God can give you rest from that by being obedient to what he asks you to do in this case here. So that brings us to the final letter in our acronym, S, which is supplication. That is basically just simply making requests of God. Now, this is the part we usually don't have too much trouble with because we immediately um, and sometimes only focus on this area where we're asking God for something either for ourselves or for someone that we care about. So notice what, how Solomon prays here, uh, picking up with verse 57 of 1 Kings 8. It says, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May, may he never leave us or abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all the commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. And may these words that I prayed in the presence of of the Lord be before him constantly day and night, so that the Lord our God may give justice to me and to his people Israel according to each day's needs. Then people all over the earth will know that the Lord alone is God and there is no other. And may you be completely faithful to the Lord our God. 
May you always obey his decrees and command just as you are doing today. Now, notice a couple of things here as we, as we prayed. Um, may the Lord be with us. You know, he's asking God, don't ever leave us. And he knows, it's one of those things he knows God is not going to leave us, but he wants to keep throwing that out there. Um, and may, second thing, may he give us the desire to do his will. What a great prayer to pray for, for yourself and for someone else that you would have the desire to do God's will and that the Lord God may give justice to me uh, and to his people, which it basically means to care for our needs according to each day's needs because it becomes a testimony to the rest of the world. Then people all over the earth will know that the Lord alone is God and there is no other. Um, then there should be one more um, on there, I think. Maybe not. And then, um, but the last one was in verse 61, where it said that we may be completely faithful to the Lord our God. Notice how specific Solomon is praying for these people. God likes it when we're specific in our prayers because when he answers those prayers, we see those answers and it becomes more clear as we um, proceed from that moment on. We know that God answered those prayers. So if you're in the habit of writing things down, uh, when you have your quiet time, when you have your prayer time, write down those specific prayers and leave space in there for how God answered them with a date perhaps or how God may have cho chosen to do that. Because if we just pray, God bless so-and-so, um, it's hard to see how that may necessarily be answered. But when you pray specifically and praying for other believers, these kind of prayers, man, that's powerful stuff there. So in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, a verse you're very familiar with, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and tells them, um, he says, be, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's as if God wants to make a big trade there. And he tells them, instead of worrying about st stuff, I've got peace that I can give you. But I need you to pray about that. I want you to pray. I want you to give it to me. But if you want anxiety for yourself, then you can have it. But if you want to get rid of that anxiety, give it to me through your prayers. And I will trade you peace, my peace, for your anxiety. That's a pretty good trade in the end, isn't it? So what does all this have to do with the temple and with you know, the New Testament and with Jesus in the process here? Solomon's prayer gives us a great guide of being sure that we're praising God for who He is, agreeing with God about our sin when we confess our sin, being thankful for God to God for all that He's done for us, but then also letting our requests be made known to God. So once again, when we go back to the temple and look at the picture there, the priest had to intercede on our behalf there. And one of those little phrases that sometimes we overlook because we don't understand the significance is in the crucifixion of Jesus. If you remember, as Jesus hung on the cross, as 
the mo- in the moment that he died, all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was placed upon him. And when he breathed his final breath, the Bible says in each of the Gospels there that the veil of the temple was split in two, was, broke, was split in half. Meaning that the veil had come down. There was no longer anything separating the people from God. And that we did not need someone else to intercede on our behalf because Jesus is our intercessor. He paid the debt, so therefore there was no need for any future sacrifice because the sacrifice was done once for all. But the bigger connotation of that too was that we have direct access to God. There's no veil separating us from God. You have direct access. You don't have to go through any of the staff members here. You have direct access. You don't have to tell us first what needs to be done. You go straight to God. And God wants to hear from you. And whether you follow that formula or not, or that acronym or not, doesn't matter. God wants to hear from you. And He, because He loves you, He wants that relationship with you, and you have direct access to the Almighty God.